0: Hello, I'm Brooke Johnson. Welcome to my father's podcast. For this week's message or any of the messages in our archive, subscribe for free on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Bethel Christian Fellowship is a church that relies on the support of its community. We consider you a part of that community and we would love for you to participate in our financial life. You can do that at our website at drcraigjohnson.org. Whether you're new to this space or a regular pod listener, we're glad you're here. We believe that this message will bring you hope, encouragement, and guidance. God bless you.
1: Good morning. Let's welcome our streaming family. God bless you. Welcome to Bethel. Welcome. You are here on an interesting day. We're beginning a new series entitled The Bastard Curse. Oh my And I scan the room to see who's here this morning. What on earth might that be? Well, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23, and we'll get there in a minute. But I want to just greet all of you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I want to welcome you. And I want you to feel welcomed, because we are fighting as God's loved children in a culture of people who feel illegitimate. People who feel rejected. Do you know, even in the womb, you know when you're wanted. And we're going to look at the fact as we, we, we start an interesting few-week series called The Bastard Curse. We're going to be looking at a, the, the longest curse in the Bible. It lasted longer than any other curse in the history of the Bible, 10 generations it lasted 400 years and the only way to break the bastard curse was for the individual to die or the bloodline itself to die now let me begin with good news galatians 3:13 and and on says that jesus christ our lord was made a curse for us on the cross and that he bore In our place, spiritually and physically and in every way and mentally, all of the punishment due our sin, and that he is the great curse reverser, and we as his children are called to be men, women, boys, and girls who actually primarily reverse curses over the lives of men, women, boys, and girls in every area of life. But I think we need to discuss this particular odd curse in Deuteronomy 23, because I think in our culture, we are fighting against a tide of illegitimacy. People feel rejected. They feel out of place. They feel out of sync. People that have been assaulted by this curse, we can call it the Bastard Curse. We can call it the Ill- Curse of Illegitimacy. Have you ever just feel that you don't belong, that you just don't fit, that maybe you're allowed to be in the room, but you don't really belong there. You don't fit there. You're out of place. You're a little bit out of joint wherever you go. You never quite fit in. Well, this, these are some of the fruits and the traits of what we're going to be calling the Bastard Curse. Now, let me read a few verses, and there are only a few in the Bible. Deuteronomy 23.1, no one, uh, verse 2, no one born of a forbidden marriage nor any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation the hebrew is very interesting here it talks about a mixed marriage we don't know uh it 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 talks about an illegitimate child and illegitimate marriages and and kids from illegitimate unions could involve uh people that had sex with cult prostitutes and the children that resulted from that people that had incestuous relations and the child was a result of that Uh, any kind of strange uh, coupling if it was one of the children of israel that was impregnated by a foreign nation because remember the children of israel were segregated completely they had to marry only among the israelites and if they cross pollinated and we see them doing this then that would introduce what we're going to be looking at the symptoms of the bastard curse into a bloodline and i just want you to see the the bastard curse is primarily a curse it is some of satan's biggest artillery that he tries to use in order to block notice the the thing that that was the primary block to the presence of the lord The illegitimate were not allowed into the congregation of the Lord. Now, Gentiles could live in Israelite territory, but they couldn't enter into the feasts and the festivals, and and they couldn't go into the temple and the areas of worship. And so what we're looking at with regard to the bastard curse are people that were not allowed to be engaged in the worship life and the religious life of the community. And so this was basically the enemy's attempt to thwart people having access to God's presence, to uh, try to sabotage their intimacy with the Lord and thereby sabotage all the blessings that would cascade upon their lives if they were close and intimate with the Lord. So this spirit we're dealing with is, uh, is so, are some of the devil's big artillery guns designed to block our intimacy with God and keep us from receiving all that he exceeding abundantly wants to give us wants to keep us out of the flow out of the dance out of the beauty of the spirit of adoption remember paul says in galatians 4 we've received the spirit of adoption we're not illegitimate children we're not slaves we're sons and daughters when we accept jesus christ and when we accept him we enter into the flow of the spirit of adoption which is a dance it's an exhilarating, beautiful intimacy. But it isn't just static. You know, we're not, not just sitting around staring at each other. We're engaged in the dance. Literally, the, the, the holy dance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were invited into that life. Well, of course, the enemy wants to sabotage that liberty and that freedom using any means possible. And that is why he tried to inject the bastard curse into the line remember Genesis 3:15, 16 as soon as Adam and Eve sinned the first prophecy in the Bible remember the seed of the woman the first prophecy was a woman is going to encompass a seed a child and he that young boy who is born of a virgin is going to crush the head of the enemy and yet his heel would be bruised. The whole Bible begins with the seed of the woman prophecy. And so you have to imagine, Satan has just been defeated. He's just gotten his head crushed, and he has hanging over his head this glorious, looming prophecy for us, a curse for him. He's coming. Who? The Habba, the coming one. He's coming. Well, when, where, how? We don't know. But when he comes, he's going to thoroughly crush your head in completion, destroy your works completely, and bring healing to the race of Adam and Eve. What a sort of Damocles to be hanging over the devil's head. But with regard to the seed of the woman, now Satan has been alerted. Now he knows that someone's coming that's going to crush him. He doesn't know who. And Adam and Eve, remember what happens? They, they give birth to their first little baby. Amen. And what do they say? Oh, surely this is the Lord. That's what she says. Keniti ish uh, et Yahweh. She says, I've gotten the man from the Lord. This is the seed of the woman that he's talking about. And actually, we know Cain was not Christ, and he was not. He was anything but and we find out that he not only murders Abel, but he lies about it later. So he's a murderer and a liar from the beginning. Satan, the first thing he does when he hears that the seed of the woman is coming in Genesis 3:15 and 16, is in chapter 4, he, through Cain, kills Abel. Because remember, Cain brought a fruit basket. He brought a vegetable plate. He brought an improper offering. He brought a bloodless offering. And remember, God's example was in the garden, he had killed an animal, skinned the animal, made clothes for Adam and Eve, clothed them, and demonstrated that the way of access to him was through the shedding of substitutionary blood that would then clothe you and allow you back into his presence. Cain says, nope. I'm going to invent a new religion, and all religion we found out from Genesis chapter 4 on is a man-made attempt to create fig leaves. And it's always a bloodless religion. It's always a vegetable or fruit plate, and it took a lot of energy for him to put it together. He was exhausted when he was finished. Abel, the Bible says, just killed the sacrifice. And the scripture says that he was enraged and he rose up and slew Abel. So there we see the two seeds to begin with. We have the line of Cain and the line of Abel. He kills Abel. And so God raises up another son named Seth. Remember, substitute. And through the line of Seth, we're going to be able to trace the bloodline of the Messiah all the way to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got the line of Cain, which is the seed not of God that manifests itself all the way through the rest of the Bible. And all the way through the rest of the Bible, we see a conflict between the seed of Cain and the seed of God. And the enemy is always trying to inject this curse we call the bastard curse. Because the bastard curse is a curse that lasts for 400 years. It would encompass about 1,024 people, and it would take 10 generations before that was broken. Now, thank God we punt to the end of the story, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has redeemed us from all the curses. But I want you to see that even as Christians, you know, people say, well, you know, Jesus died for the sins of the world, so how come you're still sinning? And if you sinned this week in word, thought, and deed, did anything less than absolute perfection, word, thought, and deed, oh, well, I thought Jesus died for your sins and took care of the sin problem 2,000 years ago. Well, It's not that we don't have soap in our culture. It's that we have to apply the soap every day. And some of you do, and some of you don't. And we'll just leave that, which to me sometimes is worse than the bastard curse. But we have to apply Every time you sin, you come before the Lord and you walk in the light as he is in the light and you confess your sin and he cleanses you of all unrighteousness. And then we are able to walk in communion with him in an unbroken flow of liberty and in that dance again and everything is restored. But we have to apply his blood. Remember in Exodus chapter 12, they killed the animal, they shed its blood, and they put it in the basin, but that wasn't enough. That it was shed and there wasn't enough. You had to take hyssop, you had to dip the hyssop in the blood, and you had to apply it on the lintel of the doorpost of your house and it didn't jump up there itself. You applied the blood in the form of what we know as a cross, if you cross it together at the door, but that blood being shed wasn't enough. It had to be applied. So it's it's sufficient for all, but it's efficient for some. It's sufficient for any sin conceivable, but it has to be applied. And so keep that in mind. Because we are still struggling with sin as Christians in word, thought, and deed. We are still wrestling against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we prevail, and we have the victory, and thank God we lean with the Holy Spirit and with the blood of Christ. And we stay in God's word, and we just don't feed the flesh, because what you feed is what's going to grow. So remember, in Genesis 3.15, Satan wants to destroy the seed, and he doesn't know who it's going to be, so he starts doing this weird thing, and the first time the bastard curse appears is in Genesis chapter 6. And you remember the story that happens, 6, 7, and 8. It's the story of Noah and the flood. What happens? The sons of God, whoever they were, cross-pollinate with the daughters of women and they create this bastardized race right and it's a group of strange little fellows that god says you know what we have to extinguish every single one of these people murder was the primary sin At the time of Noah, I mean, they were literally slaughtering one another and they had been influenced and corrupted and perverted by these strange uh, beings, whoever they were. The Watchers, they're called in many circumstances. And the body of Christ divides a lot on whether these were angelic beings that had physical relations because they don't really have bodies. So how are they going to? Well, whoever they were, God brings the flood and absolutely destroys this bastard curse. The intention of the enemy was to ruin the race. God says, nope, I got to deal with this. And so, boom. He brings the flood. Well, the next time we see this incursion in the Bible, the first time is with with um, with Noah in Genesis six, seven, and eight, and then in in Genesis chapter nineteen. Remember what happens with Lot? Lot uh, Lot uh, the the Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. He and his daughters are saved. His wife, uh, the Morton Salt people, picked her up. Remember, she looked back. Amen. And his two daughters, the Bible says, thought they, there were no more men. They thought all the men had been destroyed. So they get their dad, Lot, drunk, and they commit incest with him. And from that union, we get two kids, Moab and Ammon. And these are the, these are the illegitimate bastard children of that union birthed out of fear. And guess what? They become the Ammonites and the Moabites they become the people that become a thorn in the side of God's people and they their intention is to mongrelize the race. They want to infiltrate the people of God. They're constantly trying to seduce the men of Israel with uh, sensual women from these borderline cities of Moab and Ammon. There's this constant battle. We talk about being in the promised land. Well, there are enemies in the promised land. The promised land is God's land, but they have got to be on guard all the time. They have got to stay uh, alert all the time every day is a new day they have to start every day with prayer they have to make sure they don't yield to seduction that day and that they're not getting fixated on those moabite women because they live right on the border and did you know moabite women look a lot like god's women if you squint just right in the club yeah looking through a bottle of a a coke bottle uh, uh, squinting they might look a little, all the girls get prettier at closing time. We used to sing that song. And uh, all the guys get more handsome at closing time. So you see the enemy's intent is to constantly infiltrate the, the seed of God's people so that he could destroy that seed. Because if you have illegitimate children, it's going to be 400 years. It's going to be, it's going to be 10 generations before that is completely cleansed out. And this is not something just like, well, I asked for forgiveness and I'm forgiven. This one stuck. This is the longest, the oldest curse in the Bible. There is no other curse like it. And just going through the symptoms, the bastard's reaction to correction in Hebrews 12. Do you remember when the scripture says that if we yield to correction as God's sons, that we will bear the fruit of, the good fruit of maturity and balance and wholeness and that we'll grow up we won't just grow old but then the scripture says but the bastard the illegitimate child remember jesus even talked about he talked about the prayers of sons and daughters our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors lead us not into temptation for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever now he didn't say pray that because he just rebuked them the gentiles the bastards he he says illegitimate children They're the Gentiles. They rub rabbit's feet and repeat words and phrases. And then he didn't just turn around and forget he said that and then taught you, yours. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's a structure of prayer. You're addressing it to your Holy Father, and you're acknowledging your relationship to him. And you break the prayer down. It becomes a prayer structure. Like Spurgeon said, it's like a little model. You don't move into it and live in it, all right? The Lord's Prayer. It's just like a little model, and it's supposed to give you an overview of how you pray in structure and form. But Jesus, previous to the Lord's Prayer structure, says, don't be like illegitimate children, because they babble the names of their gods and they babble their little mantras. And whenever prayer ceases to be an I thou subject to subject conversation between two lovers, and it and even it resolves into an orthodox, you're you're doing it. You we do it in a minute. You know, we didn't. God bless shredney and god bless mommy and daddy when i was a little boy i remember i had a whole list of everybody i had to pray for and then i thought if i forgot anybody god didn't hear about it now they're all in trouble and it's all my fault so eventually i'd pass out and fall asleep because i just couldn't bear the idea that i missed somebody in prayer then i blew kisses to the father son and holy spirit and forgot who got more kisses and didn't want to cause jealousy so i'm a very sophisticated 11 year old just trying to pray. So do you see, if prayer becomes a mantra, then all of a sudden you're an illegitimate son or daughter that's just sort of rubbing a rabbit's foot, which that's not a relationship with God. But we can all fall into that so quickly. So even Jesus talks about the illegitimacy of prayers that have nothing to do with the living God. Remember, he says, your father knows what you have need of before you ask him. Just approach him because you really want to talk to him and it can be short or it can be long. It's, there's no rules with it. Just I thou connection. You can have a little I thou connection in a few seconds and fill your battery pack and reconnect in I thou ways. But see, once it becomes I it and once you become you're illegitimate and you're praying like the Gentiles, then you're just using a mantra. So boy, we have to stay fresh all the time, don't we? And that's all God wants. He just wants us to be authentic in our approach. So with regard to illegitimate children, they are not able to take counsel. The bastard spirit isolates someone. It convinces them that they're worthless. They become overwhelmed with shame and guilt and condemnation. They feel that they they don't fit in. They're always just sort of on the outs. They're just not with it. And, and also, they tend to fear correction in many cases because the only correction they've ever received is someone assaulting them, someone yelling at them, someone hitting them, someone treating them as, as in an I-it fashion, as though they're worthless and they're nothing. And so they tend to be resistant to correction. It's very difficult. When you get someone that has an unteachable spirit, Boy, it's really difficult to mentor them, isn't it? That's a bastard spirit. It's that spirit of the enemy that wants people to be offended easily, fly off the handle easily, be edgy, be touchy, easily offended. All these were the traits of the illegitimate child because they just didn't feel that they fit in. Now, is there a healing for this? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But first of all, I want to really paint a negative picture for you. Do you remember the third case of this? After Noah and after Lot, who is was sort of the creator of this whole thing. Then we have Genesis 38. Remember Judah. Remember Judah and Tamar. Remember she, uh, she was his daughter, in law and her first husband died and then her second husband died and then judah had a third boy that he promised to her and he didn't keep his word and so she's getting older and she's like her body clock is ticking and she literally deserves to marry his youngest but he doesn't want her to marry his youngest because he thinks there's something wrong with her Every time she marries one of my boys, they die. So he withholds the younger boy. And then the scripture tells us that after this, that she realized there was no way she was ever going to have a child. And so when, his, uh, when Judah's wife dies, she waits until he's going to the shearing festival and she dresses as a prostitute. And he goes in unto her and impregnates her and she becomes pregnant with twins Right. So starting at Judah right there, these kids are illegitimate. They're bastards. This bastard curse lasts for how many generations? Do you remember? Ten. Right. So from Judah to King David, there are ten generations. The house of Jesse, Exodus 11 says. The Messiah, the seed. of What happened to the seed of the woman? Well, He's still promised, and even though the enemy is is working on Earth constantly, on every front conceivable, to destroy the seed of the woman, so that Mary will not be able to have the God Man. It's a long way ahead. He's still in his blindness and his hatred, his stealing, his killing, destroying, is trying to find out anyone who is of the blessed line and seed, and then he wants to corrupt that with the bastard curse. Because he knows he can go at least 400 years to steal, kill, and destroy before that drops off. And so we see that functioning all the way up to Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah mentions in the midst of his prophecy, oh, by the way, everybody, remember the seed of the woman you've all been waiting for all these years? Well, uh, he's going to appear in the house of Jesse. The house of Jesse, who's that? Well, Jesse happens to be the 10th generation. So he couldn't be anybody involved in this. And remember, the enemy tries to destroy the house of Jesse he goes, who are they? I don't know, but I'm looking for him. Now they're on his radar. Anybody hear about the house of Jesse? He's got his demons all over the place because they can only be at one place at one time. So he's, he's peeking his ear out for the house of Jesse, and he finally figures out who the house of Jesse is. And then he immediately goes to work trying to what? Destroy David. Because if he can... Destroy david who is now of the 11th generation with david the bastard curse falls off with david the seed of the woman prophecy is secure and all of a sudden out of nowhere there's this little boy and he's anointed and he's singing and he 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 immediately tries to destroy him by putting in the first king of israel which is saul he figures, I'll kill him, I'll, I'll, I'll destroy any legitimate seed, I'll corrupt Saul, he will be the king, and then I will corrupt his line with the bastard curse, and if he continues to spread his line, we've destroyed that line. And then what does God do? He brings up David. You know the story so well, but I hope it's coming together in a whole new way, the box top, for all the puzzle pieces. Samuel in privacy goes to David and he goes, look, God, if if Saul finds out what's going on here, he's a murderer. This guy's a murderer. He's a liar. He's a cheat. He's not the true king because he's not God's legit king. Saul couldn't be because he's not of David's generation. So God says, no, go ahead. You go ahead. Go anoint him. He's about, remember, he's just little. He's about 13 or 14 years old. And the oil is put on his head. Now we have two kings. Oops. And you know, the first king's getting a little nervous because he's got demons that are attacking him all the time and he's got possession problems, right? So they need an anointed Marty Getz minstrel to come in and do worship or Hillsong to lift these demons off. And they hear about David who's playing his guitar out in the backwoods and and Saul orders him to come in and he just winds up right in the middle of the, the king's throne room, this little boy. There's just something charming about him. Gosh, he's got such a great voice. He's a great songwriter. He's extremely handsome. The Bible says he behaves himself wisely in all matters with all of Saul's staff, with Saul himself. He is never a threat to Saul. He only ever honors Saul. He even cuts a bit off his garment and feels a smitten conscience just because he touched the king's anointed in a bit of his property. This kid has got a pure conscience but the devil's getting very nervous. So he uses a spirit of murder to try to kill this new kid. Uses Saul, that doesn't work. Then he begins to go out into battle to fight for Saul. Now he's going to use war to try to put David in situations where he can kill him. But he can't kill him. Every time David's in in a pinch, God gets him out. Even when he's hiding in a cave, God saves him. Wherever he goes, he sends an army around him. This kid is, is, is covered. He's covered. The enemy's only hope is to defile David's seed with a bastard curse. Well, remember David gets a little older. When he should be out at war, he stays home. And he's eating bonbons, sitting on the couch. And he's out in the nighttime looking over the window at the women that are bathing. And there he sees Bathsheba the devil goes. I got to get him. Beloved, the devil, he pulls away, but he never goes away. He just moves away until a more strategic time. Even in the temptation of Jesus, it says he withdrew for a more convenient time he's going to be back. I'll be back. (laughs) He's always conniving, wanting to steal, kill, and destroy because he's always trying to not only kill you, but he's trying to, if he can't kill you, he'll try to defile your bloodline. He'll try to ruin your family. He'll try to ruin your children. If he can't get you, he punts to any dimension of stealing and killing and destroying that he can do. And I bring this bastard curse up because this has been on my spirit all week. The symptoms of it are so prevalent in our culture. If you look at it as a grid, I've never lived in a time where people are so unaware that they are the beloved of the Lord. Remember, you're not what you can do. You're not what you have. You're not what other people say about you. You are the beloved of the Lord on oh, no, favor rests. This understanding of the beloved that we've been brainwashing you with for so long is not common knowledge in the church world. And that's why most Christians are constantly thinking, I am what I can do. I am what I have. I am what my reputation is at the moment, depending on someone saying something good about me. And we found out that puts you in the stock market syndrome. You are up and down all the time because when you no longer have what you used to have or you can no longer do what you used to do or you can no longer uh, be spoken well of, then I guess you're you're done. And then the enemy, with your insecurity, can easily inject this sense of the bastard curse in, where now you've got your shame, your guilt, your condemnation. Remember how we say, whatever you do for the Lord, it's got is it impelled, compelled, or freely chosen? Paul the Apostle put it this way, when you give anything for any reason, you have to ask yourself, is this compelled from the outside? Are you manipulating me to do it? Are you controlling me? Is it Is it impelled on the inside? Do I feel shame and aughts and guilt and you know just sort of a sense of uh, insecurity, or am I freely choosing it? Are you do you are you trying to make me go to this lunch? Do I feel obligated to go to this lunch, or do I want to go to the dang lunch? That's what you have to always ask yourself. Because if you're in the ministry of the Lord, you've got to stay in liberty. You've got to stay with that spirit of adoption. You've got to stay in play. You've got to be fresh. You've got to be where you want to be. You've got to be where God has you heightenly alive, not I guess I'll go. <laughs> oh, thanks. That's probably an event at my house. I guess we should go. Not much of a tail or not much of a donkey. The bastard spirit creates, intends to inject an unteachable spirit. An uncorrectable spirit. A spirit that is constantly consumed with rejection. Consumed with not fitting in. Consumed with I don't belong anywhere. And when you find yourself refusing correction and always offended, that's what you're being seduced with. And that's what you're being seduced by. The spirit of the bastard. Now, We've taught you about the Father's blessing and how important it is to have that. It is. It is. Remember the Father's blessing, five points of blessing, meaningful touch, special spoken words of acceptance, someone valuing your intrinsic worth, someone picturing a special future, someone committing to stay with you throughout the whole process. I'm here no matter what. And there's just something about our cra- we crave. The answer to this bastard spirit, this illegitimate spirit, is to feel legitimized. And maybe we didn't have a father that was supportive, loving, emotionally available. That's why we're called to reparent one another with the father's blessing. See, I can meaningfully touch you. It's appropriate touch special spoken words of acceptance where you're being built up and you're being lifted up and you're being encouraged at all times and someone that sees your intrinsic value and they say i see your talents i see your gifts i see your abilities Boy, you're going to be something in this area, and I'm going to hang around and make sure that I mentor you in every way I can and support you financially in any way I can. These are the minerals and vitamins of a father's blessing, And, 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 and and a daughter can bless her own father with these. A son can bless his mother with these. This kind of fathering should be common in all our involvements together. Isn't it interesting? Saul tried to kill David. Then Goliath of Goth. Hmm. I wonder if the devil had any illegitimate, demon possessed people that would surrender to be instruments of assault. Goliath of Goth, the Philistine giant. There's another attempt kill him. But the murdering doesn't work. And the warfare doesn't work. But David himself, by his own hand, chooses the sin. He impregnates Bathsheba. Brings Uriah, her her husband, back from the battle to try to cover it up. Maybe he'll sleep with his wife, but he's too loyal of a man. Three days he's there. He doesn't do it, won't do it. David has him killed. He compounds. And then they have their illegitimate child. They have a bastard child from that union, and the child dies. And now David has opened the door for all kinds of assault. And do you see the enemy's intent with this bastard curse? If David's the king, then from his loins are going to come all the future kings. Did you know that over a period of over 200 years, there were some 200 kings in the north, in Israel, all corrupt and demon possessed and the ones in judah about that many handful of them eh, four five all the rest corrupt the bastard curse infiltrated all those kings of israel in an attempt to defile the seed of the woman he's trying to stop christ and do you see this spirit at work in our time? His tools work in every generation. They never change. They don't have to. They always work. Money, sex, and power. Gold, guys, and glory. Gold, gals, and glory. Catching. ching And he finds one that you like, and he just sticks with that. And you don't hit a thousand bricks once. You hit one brick a thousand times, and ooh, the door will open. He doesn't know. He can't read your mind. But he knows human nature and knows we tend to be open for business in some area, especially when we're exhausted and we don't get enough sleep and we're not eating right and we're not in fellowship with, with God and his people and we're not in the house of the Lord, then he, he would just assume, wait. Now, interesting, Matthew 25, do you know the Lord talks about the sheep and the goats? You ever notice the goats, those nasty little creatures? They're mean-spirited. They're always pushing the boundaries. They're always trying to see how far they can go. They're always trying to mislead sheep. Sheep are gullible, God bless them, but they're teachable. They will hear their master's voice. Goats rebel against everything, and they're the quintessential symbol of the bastard spirit, a goat. Remember, Jesus said one day the sheep and the goats, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to separate them. But when you think of those goats, those goats get everywhere. They go everywhere. They can drink from rushing water. Sheep are afraid because they're terrified anyway, and they got all that stuff that if they get too close to water, they can't drink from running water. They'll get all soaked and going and drown. The goats lead them. They're called the scapegoat. That's the goat they would use to lead the sheep into the chutes for slaughter. They still use goats because they're cute and they're charming and they're all over the place and they can jump everywhere and they can jump just enough to lead a sheep to its death and then fly off at the last minute. That's the symbol of the bastard spirit, the goat. They eat anything. They'll eat a tin can. They'll eat tobacco. They eat everything. Sheep won't. That's why Jesus distinguishes between sheep and goats. He says, they may be a little dense, but they're my sheep. (laughs) They may smell and bite a bit, but they've got a different nature. They don't have the goat nature. They're the symbol of of legitimate followers. (laughs) Thank you, Lord beloved I want to pray right now thank you Jesus Lord God we pray right now for your precious Holy Spirit to fill the space right here right now Lord we right now ask that anywhere the enemy has been trying to intrude into our lives With this spirit we put a light a pen light on it we put a laser focus on it Lord we are going to fully again name and highlight these traits we are not rejected we belong we're not out of place we fit we're not nothing we matter God We are your beloved. We don't need to perform to earn your favor. We don't need to possess anything to earn your favor. We are your beloved on whom your favor rests. You've chosen us. You've set your love on us. The enemy is always trying to convince us that we're rejected or we will be rejected or if we do thus or so we will not matter or will we will put ourselves beyond forgiveness or beyond redemption or beyond deliverance and these lies we hold up and rebuke in the name of Jesus Christ right now. The blood of Jesus says the law says do the gospel says done the blood says you're acceptable and you are accepted you belong and you'll always belong the good news of the blood of the cross of the Lamb of God says come my yoke is easy my burden is light and you will find rest for your souls father we speak a rest from the assaults of the enemy with this bastard curse, Lord. His attempts to intrude, his attempts to infiltrate our thoughts, our feelings that can be so strong and so real. But feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. Our warrant is the word of God. None else is worth believing. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit into the deepest recesses of our heart to bring fullness and wholeness, fill us up to the brim, top us off, God, with favor, with acceptance, with forgiveness, where the enemy is constantly reminding us of our past, constantly reminding us of our past. But when he reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Father, we receive your healing hand, your instructing hand, your cleansing hand with regard to any of these issues that are still live in and around and about us, God. And we pray now that our hands would become healing hands and enemies of this bastard curse, that we would look at everyone in our sphere of influence and we would have an eye to look for these traits and to see these deceptions so that we can speak the honey love and acceptance of your good news over every man, woman, boy, and girl near us, God. And Lord, where this thing has been incrustated in the family, where it is just seems invulnerably entrenched like a uh, uh, like a glacier in our family line, thank you that we we are not strong, but you are strong. We cannot make people better, but you can. We're responsible to people, not for people. And we ask for an antidote to this assault of the enemy in the name of Jesus. And all the people said, amen, amen. Bless his holy name, beloved. There is nothing like the truth of God spoken. Nothing like it. And what's interesting is when you can name something, you have authority over it. And there are so many teachings on generational spirits. And sometimes I I don't know if they're generational symptoms of something that's been in a family line forever or if they're actually demons flying around, assaulting a bloodline. It doesn't really matter. If it's in, get it out. If it's on, get it off. We we don't need to be uh, statisticians. We just need to know when we see stealing, killing, or destroying internally in us or in anyone else that we stand with that blood. And the blood of Jesus Christ is the antidote. To every curse and any curse, and whether it's local or generalized or generational or your, all your families have been, you know, alcoholics or what, whatever the symptoms may be, Christ is the answer. Thank you, Jesus. And I think we're just learning new categories because I still believe we're standing on the brink of the greatest outpouring of God in human history that is going to be involving power to unveil and crucify this wicked devil. Amen. God bless you. David, come and bless us today. Let's greet the man of God. Put your hands together. And thank you, by the way, for your prayers. My eye is doing much better. I had my cataract surgery a few days ago. I think you probably noticed it's a little weird. I do have floaters about the size of Noah's Ark that just keep moving around when I move around. So I've been trying to fight those and read the text at the same time. Praise the Lord. Come on up, David. Thanks for your prayers.
2: Shalom everybody. Shalom. Shalom. You know the time when the enemy tries to put the illegitimate spirit on you is when you fail. Yes. But I got one word for you today. We're going to start with a cup by the way. The one word is tetelestai. Yes. <laughs> it's Greek and it's translated in the New Testament as it is finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross. But tetelestai has an additional meaning paid in full. The Greeks use that even today when they've sold something and a transaction is complete tetelestai. In our culture we have the receipt and they stamp it paid in full. So when you fail Remember that Jesus paid in full for every sin that you'll ever commit. It's already taken care of. So when you fail, just reject that illegitimate spirit and thank Jesus that he's cleansed you with his blood forever. Let's partake. Jesus also allowed his body to be broken that's your receipt that's the paid receipt you know when we're in heaven we'll be able to see the receipt forever every piercing on his body we will be able to worship him and praise him but you can receive it right now his body was broken for you to be healed and to be whole let's partake thank you jesus that you are our sacrificial lamb thank you for our eternal salvation thank you for your word and for pastor craig to just reassure us thank you that we can breathe a sigh of relief and have peace that you provided thank you jesus amen
1: thank you beloved and gretchen we send you our love she's healing up She's healing up from her foot complaint. I had my eye complaint. She's got her foot complaint, but she, she'll she be back soon. She did back my, a number of you when I was on the phone with her this week, but we'll just let that go. He died for that one too, Gretchen. And the rest of you, we love you, our warners. We love you. I know you're there, and Jackie, you're probably there, and all of our loved ones and we just want to let you know that any of you that feel led if you're fed here you go ahead and feed us amen you go ahead and make us a part of your your monthly giving your weekly giving however it is that you dole that out we are more than willing to be receivers good soil for good seed jack in the beanstalk seed jack in the beanstalk soil Father, we ask your provision for the lambs, Lord, that are so precious here and faithful and consistent. We ask you, Lord, to go before us this week, and Lord, open our eyes to the men, women, boys, and girls who suffer and labor heavily under this spirit, that we will identify it clearly and immediately be alerted to bringing life to them, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift his countenance unto you and give you peace. God bless you, thank you.
0: We hope today's message has been a blessing to you. And if it has, please visit our website at drcraigjohnson.org. There you can find additional messages of encouragement. And if our ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider us in your ministry giving, as we depend solely on the financial assistance of our listeners like yourself. Also, please feel free to send any personal prayer requests. You can find us online at drcraigjohnson.org. God bless you.